0: When you hesitate and find yourself stopping just before sharing something with your spouse, how do you make sense of that? Shouldn't we be able to share everything with our soulmate? Welcome to the Only You Forever
1: podcast. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you've been looking for. And now, here are your hosts,
0: Caleb and Verlinda Simboni Gendel.
1: Hey everybody, this is episode number nine, and we are going to be talking about fears of intimacy for a few weeks.
0: So we all bring some fears to our relationship, and usually one or more of the ones that we're going to talk about this week and next week. So if you really like digging deep into your stuff, I think you'll find this mini-series fascinating.
1: Okay, before we jump in, let's just talk about fear for a few minutes. How do we deal with fear
0: Okay, so here's the great thing. We think avoiding fear takes us away from that fear. And okay. often we go to a great extent at all costs to try to stay away from our fears. But that doesn't work. Fear is a valid and a normal response in the human body. And so avoiding or ignoring the fear is actually invalidating what is real and what is normal. So like I said, it's just not going to work. But okay. when, yeah, But when we actually acknowledge our fear and talk about our fear and share our fears... Then we actually end up disempowering them.
1: So our fear of fear is often stronger than our fear. Precisely. That was deep.
0: Yeah. But that was bang on. Thanks. Yeah. So I don't think we need much convincing that fears of intimacy are truly sort of a barrier to deepening our relationships. There is uh, two folks I came across that did some research in 1991, Deskutner and Thalen, I think you pronounce their names like that. They found that fear of intimacy is negatively related to comfort with emotional closeness. So as my fear of intimacy goes up, my comfort with being emotionally close to my spouse goes down.
1: Okay. That makes sense.
0: Yep. And then they also found that as my fear of intimacy goes up, the satisfaction with the relationship goes down. And again, as the fear of intimacy goes up, loneliness increases and trait anxiety increases as well. Okay. So when we move closer to that fear that we have or those fears through recognizing and acknowledging and then naming them, we actually begin to see that the fear which we feared is not as big or as powerful or as overwhelming as we originally thought.
1: Yeah, that's like that brilliant Bible verse in Proverbs 29, verse 25, it says, the fear of man lays a snare. Mm-hmm. So how often do we think of our fear of others, but it's, I guess it's actually our own fear that mm-hmm. snares us or traps us. Mm-hmm. So thinking about that in marriage, that would trap us or hold us back from a deeper intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. So what's a good example of
0: this? Well, I'll share a funny story before we dive into the nitty gritty here. Okay. So this is not in a relationship context, but it's from my own experience and it really illustrates how moving towards the fear totally takes its power away. Okay. Okay. So for years of my life, I had this recurring nightmare of being caught out in public and I was usually a a little boy with no pants and sometimes no shorts. (laughs)
1: Feel
0: feel free to laugh. That's fine.
1: That must've been traumatic.
0: Oh, thank you. (laughs) It was. So, anyways, like this was in my adult years, I had this dream, right? So, somewhere at some point in the early 2000s, that's after
1: we were married.
0: Yeah, actually, I'm going to go to uh, after the mid 2000s, like 06, 07 in there. I remembered that in grade three, I was in a brand new school and it was my first year there. And I was late coming out of the change room and I was in a rush and I went out got changed as quick as I could and ran out into the gymnasium and stopped right in front of my entire class in my tidy whiteys.
1: Oh, Caleb. Yeah. (laughs) That's terrible.
0: Thanks for laughing (laughs) at my trauma, my childhood trauma.
1: That's bad.
0: Yeah. So, so here's the thing though. Mm -hmm. I forgot about that for years, but I always had this nightmare and it would be like, I'd have this a few times a year, at least I think.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I didn't count them, but it just seemed to, it was enough to notice. So when I remembered the memory. And then actually, I share, I think I shared it with you once. Mm-hmm. And I shared it even with a few classmates at school when I was going through my counseling training. I stopped having the dream. Mm-hmm. And people laughed at me. I didn't get any counseling about my tidy whitey incident. said. Okay, right. but here's mm-hmm. the thing. So naming it and actually explain and telling a few people that I trusted about it. You know, I said, it's okay if you want to laugh because it is kind of a funny story. Mm-hmm. It totally disempowered that sort of deeper subconscious, I'm just going to call it a trauma, though it's probably an overstatement, if you will, mm-hmm. and, and took the nightmares away. Wow. Yeah. So that's a little illustration of what we're talking about today.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get to these fears.
0: So this is from the research and writing of Dr. Gerald Weeks, chair of the Department of Counseling at the University of Nevada. And Dr. Stephen Treat, director and CEO of the Penn Council for Relationship and an instructor of psychiatry and human behavior at Jefferson Medical College in Philadelphia.
1: That sounded complicated.
0: Yeah. These are pretty skilled individuals. They know what they're doing. Wrote Mm -hmm. a great textbook on marriage. So fear number one. Let's get to it. Fear number one is the fear of exposure. When we first start dating, we're just really, and sorry if this comes across a little sarcastic, but we're just kind of like a couple of plasticky shiny Facebook profiles. So we're really presenting that idealized front to each other, you know, the best facade forward. Mm -hmm. And But with time, as that relationship deepens, we become more self-disclosing and begin to take turns risking greater disclosure as the trust between us builds.
1: Okay. So as we get to know each other, we let the other person get to know us a little bit more. Yep. The real us.
0: The real us, the parts of us that we're a little more either concerned about or even outright terrified about that we'll get disapproval from. So this fear of exposure can be can be very real. And you have to ask yourself, what if you're in this situation? And I know some of our listeners maybe experience this, but what if you what happens if you think that exposing yourself would be too painful? If you have so low self worth or self esteem and you don't want your partner to know that, you'll pretend to feel good about yourself is what you'll do, right?
1: hmm. So which might not be a bad thing to do what to like fake it till you make it. You well, know, like if you're grumpy, if you smile, you'll feel better.
0: OK, so that's good in the short term. But if you fake it till you make it in the long term and that's your pattern for developing intimacy, how much intimacy are you developing? Oh, yeah. So that's kind of the point, right? So that gap, not only that, but that gap between how you feel on the inside, which is horrible and afraid and how you act, leads you to begin to see yourself as an imposter.
1: So it's almost like this vicious cycle.
0: Yeah. It's like, if you really knew me, you would not like me or love me because I do not like or love myself.
1: Okay. So why would a person think this way?
0: So a person can come into this, particularly if they grew up in a family where love was contingent on performance and not the person. So if you do the right things or act the right ways or achieve what I want you to achieve, you'll experience my love. Not yeah. so much, I love you regardless.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: And this leaves your sense of self-worth underdeveloped and it creates this fear of exposure. So I'm only love for doing well or what I can do and not for myself.
1: Okay. So to protect myself from losing my spouse's love, I'm going to hide those negative or unpleasant feelings and expect you to do the same.
0: Right. So that's the fear of exposure right there. Okay. So I, I'm going to hide from you. I want you to hide from me because when we get there, that's really scary. Because those parts previously, in my experience of love,
1: if I showed them,
0: they weren't accepted or they weren't responded to, they weren't soothed.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Anything like that. So think of how powerful it would be. And this is where I want to challenge the folks that are listening to us. Think of how powerful it would be to expose your darkest secrets to someone else who is trustworthy and experience empathy and love in return. So not every spouse can give this when they come into a relationship, but this reciprocating, it can be learned and it can be profoundly healing.
1: It would just negate all those fears.
0: It's going to undermine them. Yeah. And this is where we kind of come back to moving towards the fear, and not away from it. It's exactly the opposite of what you want to do, but it's the best thing for you. Right. Okay. Fear number two, the fear of dependency. So if you believe you need to be completely self-sufficient and insulated and independent, this may be you. In marriage, it's often going to look like emotional distance or aloofness, so I'll I'll kind of hold myself up or back, Mm -hmm. and I can kind of get along fine without you. But admittedly, you know, there are some financial or social conveniences to being married.
1: That just sounds so callous. Like, I'm just in this for what I can get in some ways, and yet I'm not going to depend on you for it.
0: Yeah, but... We don't want to sort of, you know, add the Hollywood drama to this, right? So I don't think there's very many people that actually, there are probably some,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: not very many that actually head into marriage with this awareness. It's more like, you know what, okay. I need to get married. My friends are getting married, um, but I've, and we'll, we'll unpack what's going on here. I need to get married too. So that's kind of the social, this is what people do when they're my age. Yeah. Right.
1: So where does this fear come from?
0: Okay. So it usually comes from fathers as, of the time we were children, and it affects Mm -hmm. men, i.e. husbands. And it's this notion that I'm a self-made man. I rely on nobody but myself. So when fathers push their children to independence without offering them any guidance or support, this is what is created. Another manifestation of this in a marriage is a person could actually almost go to the other extreme. Instead of being aloof, or that being sort of the primary feature, they'll go marry someone who is very, very needy. And very dependent. And then it can be all about you. I don't have to look at myself because you need so much from me.
1: They don't have to look at their own garbage. Yeah. they'll be focusing on somebody else's.
0: So I'm not going to be dependent on you because I'm always attending to you. Yeah. Right. Okay. So one of the examples that Weeks and Treat gave is a 40-year-old man. And his real core belief was that he could never ask his wife for anything. And I'm not talking about, can you make my lunch, honey? I'm talking about emotional needs or nurturing or anything of that relational, intimate stuff, right?
1: And what would that look like? Like what kind of stuff? How do you mean? Well, he couldn't ask his wife for anything. Yeah. Emotional. Yeah. I'm just asking for an example so of that.
0: So this was a man who I'm guessing, we well, you come to those spaces in life, he'd had a very, um distress. something really disappointing happened at work mm-hmm. and he, This is not the type of guy who can walk in the front door and say, I had a horrible day. Can I have a hug?
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah.
0: So he has to be self-made, independent. And in our culture, this gets reinforced as well. So it's manly, you know, is it manly to say, I need a hug? Hmm. No. Not so much. Or can you hold me? You know, when was the last time you heard a guy say that in a Hollywood movie? (laughs) So it's always like, well, what are you, a baby? You know, only the strong have the will to survive.
1: Yeah. I think it'd be really hard to lower those barriers. Like if you're raised this way to be completely independent Mm -hmm. to all of a sudden lower that barrier and Mm -hmm. let someone see that side of you.
0: The vulnerability. the Yeah. Yeah.
1: I guess, but it would lead to so much deeper intimacy Mm -hmm. when you do like just that closeness and connection.
0: Right. So it kind of begs the question, how? Well, again, we come back to the same thing, which is move toward it. So it's about identifying that you have this fear of dependency. So it's going to be hard if you're this kind of guy. But maybe you can Mm -hmm. just use the podcast as an excuse. Say, hey, hey, wife, you know, I was listening to the OYF podcast. They were talking about fear of dependency and it was like they were talking about me. And so you name it and you talk about it and you start having those conversations. And that's going to be extra hard for you. But moving towards this instead of away from it is what's going to lead you deeper with your spouse and help you to unpack your stuff. And actually, you know, paradoxically, what you're most afraid of will make you stronger.
1: Yeah. And if you're feeling really brave invite your spouse to call you out on it. Mm -hmm. I mean, gently, obviously, Mm -hmm. but when she sees it in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's right.
1: Are you feeling the fear of dependency?
0: Well, you've, you've kind of gone into self-made mode again. Like,
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be nicer than making fun of him. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I would make fun of you or anything. Oh no. No, no.
0: So we're going to have to stop here for today so we can stay within our time limit for the podcast. But before we go, I wanted to encourage you, you may become aware during the show of how some of your fears actually hold you back from your spouse. Well, holding back is the exact opposite of what's required to overcome these fears.
1: Yeah. Like you said, naming it, exposing it, moving towards it.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think that God wired the human mind and the heart so that love could heal fear. And we see this in a very insightful scripture passage in 1 John 4 and 18, which says, there is no fear in love, no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. And that's a beautiful reminder that love has the power to displace fear. And this comes in our relationships when we reach out to our spouse and we hold them while they give voice to their fears or even in ourselves when we show compassion to our own fear.
1: Yeah. So be encouraged listeners. And here's your homework. Mm -hmm. Listen to this show with your spouse and then talk about those fears that
0: you experience. Right on. Okay, let's head over to our question segment now. And now for our Q&A section. Remember, if you'd like to ask us a question, you can email it to questions at onlyyouforever.com or please leave us a voicemail at onlyyouforever.com slash questions.
1: So we have a question here from an anonymous listener and she says, they say that your seventh year of marriage is the hardest. Why? Is that true? If so, how do couples get through it? That's a pretty good question.
0: Yeah. It is a good question. But guess what? That seven
1: couples get through it.
0: They do. That seven year thing is kind of a myth. And I think it comes from a nineteen fifty five movie called The Seven Year Itch, where a so far faithful husband is tempted by a beautiful neighbor when his wife and son go away for the summer.
1: Oh, never even heard of it.
0: Neither did I until I started researching it. But here's a scoop from the 2011 U.S. Census Survey. For those whose first marriage ended in divorce, the average duration of their marriage was eight years. So that's kind of saying, yeah, around seven.
1: It deteriorated.
0: Yeah. But remember, that's an average. Right. So there's some happen, or actually, I beg your pardon, I think it's a median. Our statisticians would take me to task over that one. Mm -hmm. So there's some people before that, a good dose of them and a good dose of them after that. But here's another interesting point for those over the age of thirty who married once over fifty percent of males are still married all the way through to the age group of men in their seventies. so a lot of people maintain that marital status
1: so if you're married older, you're more likely to stay married well they is that what you're saying here?
0: um I'm saying if you make it through the first number of years,
1: oh okay, you'll make more, it all the way
0: more likely to yes, yeah, but for a woman, that number drops to thirty percent why. Because men die younger than women.
1: Oh. Most men
0: die before their wives. Good Ugh. news for the husbands.
1: Yeah, but not for the wife.
0: No, sorry. I'll die first. Yeah, I'll <laughs> keep eating my coconut oil. So I've heard that the divorce rates peak at five, fifteen, and 25 years. But honestly, after like a couple hours of searching, I couldn't actually find any research to support that.
1: You state that all the time.
0: I know, I was told that in school.
1: <gasps>
0: yeah. But instead of getting our knickers in a nod over statistics, let's go yes. to the most relevant part of the question, which is how do couples get through it, it being the seventh year of marriage or it being just a tough time?
1: Well, there's basically just one thing that you need to do.
0: Listen to our podcast.
1: <laughs> Obviously. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, seriously, everyone has some hard times and maybe even hard for years. So it's a pretty broad question at this point, but I'm going to have to give you a pretty broad answer. Okay. And there's a little bit of a storm blowing in the background, so hopefully you won't mind the noise on our recording here. But the first part is work on your marriage and tell your spouse that you want to do this. Ask the question you're most afraid of. And that question could be...
1: Are you willing to work with me on this?
0: Yeah. Acknowledge that the marriage is hard. So, hey, you know what? I feel like we're having a tough time. Yeah. 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 So putting it out there, I had a couple come to my office once for counseling and I listened to them talk about different issues they were struggling with in their marriage and all these details and things that they were fighting about. And I asked them both the question, I said, it sounds like you're both, like you're having a hard time. And I said, tell me, what is the glue that keeps you together? And I think that was the question that they were most afraid of. You know, was the love still there is basically what I was asking. The answer could have been, you know what, there is no glue or the glue we have just isn't sticky anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But So for- what they say? <laughs> Come on,
1: don't leave us in suspense. Well,
0: fortunately, she just melted in tears and said, we love each other. And she said it was so much fervor and meaning. And he melted as well and just nodded through his tears and they turned toward each other and they kind of reached out their hands. It was a really touching moment. Wow. And they, they re, sort of reconnected right there. Well, it was pretty disappointing because I thought I'd get 12 or 18 sessions out of them, but a couple of sessions later and they felt like they were <laughs> all, <laughs> all good to go.
1: You're obviously too effective.
0: No. so But that's the point, right? They got to the core and they found the love. And when they had the realization that this deep emotional bond was still there, all of a sudden they were working together instead of retreating back into their fear and being oppositional yeah, toward so that, each
1: other. Yeah, so that scary question just prompted them
0: to find what was real.
1: Yeah. Or pushed them to get past the fear of not knowing what the other spouse wanted.
0: Yeah. And actually for both of them, you know, they were, I believe it was a second marriage. And so they were really, um, you know, they were afraid of another loss. Oh yeah.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And so almost we're retreating quicker. Mm -hmm. So that's what we want to encourage is, you know, I think you always get the best answers from the scariest questions.
1: Yeah, but they're scary.
0: They are. They are. I learned this from one of my supervisors, Linda Medeiros, when I was doing my counseling internship though. And she used to ask the hardest questions and I'd sit through the double glass wall or whatever. We have permission to do this. And watching her ask this, and you just, I'd almost gasp like she asked that. And you'd see the person and they would always get to that core part of their inner emotions Mm -hmm. and they would shift. Like they, they got momentum. They got in touch with something that gave them strength. Wow. Yeah. So there you go.
1: So just to sum this up, just in my own mind here, Mm -hmm. going back to the question, how do couples get through this, the hard year of marriage or the hard years of marriage? And I'm, what you're saying is ask those hard questions?
0: What I'm saying is acknowledge the hard. Together. Yeah. Okay. So put it on the table and maybe that prompts a discussion. Yeah. And, you know, if you're unsure, ask the question, are we in this together? Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're either going to get a, you know what, we're having a bad time, but no matter what, I am 100% here, baby. Mm
1: -hmm. Or
0: you're going to get, I'm not sure, which is going to be even freakier. That's
1: scary, yeah.
0: Right. But then you have something you can act on. Okay. Like you can go get, you know. We need help. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Gotcha.
0: You know we need help.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: All right. Did we leave that scary enough? Yeah, no kidding. So thanks for your question. Uh, If there's any follow-up or any help we can give feel free to reach out and we are going on holidays in July. So we're recording these podcasts ahead of time. So that means we'll have to catch up on review. Thank yous later. But before we go, we want to shout out a huge thank you to Nick Walters, one, two, three, who left us a five star review. Thank you, Nick. Much appreciated. Yeah. So remember your reviews on iTunes help make our podcast more visible in iTunes. And this visibility means that more people see us subscribe and we'll be able to help serve more marriages.
1: Also a special acknowledgement this week, my parents, mom and dad, are celebrating their 45th anniversary this weekend.
0: Woohoo! So
1: congratulations.
0: That's awesome. Okay, that's all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at onlyyouforever.com slash nine.
1: Remember, we're here to help build thriving, passionate marriages. So send us your marriage questions in to questions at onlyyouforever.com.
0: Thank you for listening
1: to the only dot podcast. Please help us reach and influence a wider audience by rating and reviewing our podcast at only slash love. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week.
0: Ready? Three, two,
1: one. I thought you said you were recording already.
0: I am. You were supposed to start talking when I hit one.
1: Okay, but you have to stop so I can start.
0: Yep. Okay, ready? Three.
1: No, stop. Stop what? Stop counting down. If you just be Well, I thought
0: it was more fun that way. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, you go ahead. Just whenever you feel like you're ready.
1: Can I go to bed now?
0: No. Not quite yet.